This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beats on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Ewart. Uh, Could Samoa be the next Pacific Rugby Nation to field a team in Australia's Super W competition? We can also have a team to include in the Super W. That's if we have all the, the resources and all the players to put that team together. After the World Cup selection ban imposed by the Fiji NRL, the door is open again for Silkdales to play for their country is looking to move forward and looking for progression and you know when it comes into national games no matter which competition you are who you're playing for he'll pick the best players to put on that party jersey and the Kurokuro's new coach determined to lead Solomon Islands to a fifth FIFA Futsal World Cup that's the main target to qualify for the World Cup and if we do that then I think I'll have the opportunity to grow the program if we don't it might be difficult to keep my job Tough options for Damon Shaw, the new coach of the Kurakura. We'll hear more from him later in the programme. First, though, some harsh words have been written about Moana Pacifica this week after a humiliating 59-0 loss to the Hurricanes in front of their own fans at Mount Smart Stadium. Right now, Moana are sitting winless at the bottom of the Super Rugby Pacific ladder, and in some circles, the very viability of the franchise is being questioned. But coach Aaron Major is undaunted. He points out that the team only came into being last year and began a journey which he remains convinced will lead to success eventually. And he says that success cannot be measured by wins alone. Morale is good. We've trained well this week. you just got to keep perspective, I think, around where we're at on our journey. We've played some outstanding rugby this year, and it's important not to forget that. And we don't become a bad team overnight. The performance against the Hurricanes wasn't at the standard we'd expect of ourselves. They were very good, and we got taught some key lessons. So you have a good, honest look, and you get back up, and you go again. It's not easy when you lose 59-0 at this level, and our boys are proud, but they had a good look at themselves. We all had a good look at ourselves Probably the big thing that really stood out was after a long tour away, three weeks on the road early in the season, come back and the energy probably wasn't where it needed to be. Didn't get it right. We got beaten on a good side. You mentioned that perhaps you're not particularly aware of what's being said in the media, but there was one article that's been written this week on the Rugby Pass website, and it talks about Moana Pacifica being a franchise doomed to fail and little hope of being competitive. How do you react to something like that? Oh, look, we just focus on things um, within our control. A lot of people outside don't understand our environment. They don't understand uh, where we're at on our journey. And if you're looking purely at results, that's a fair opinion, I suppose. But we're building and we've got a lot of good people working really hard. To be competitive in this game, you need quality and you need experience. We don't have a lot of experience in our group. And the only way to get it is to go through sometimes some tough experiences. And that's how we all grow. The foundation that's going to now will set the team up to be successful in the future. Do you feel that the Moana franchise has been scrutinised more heavily perhaps uh, than the Fijian Andrua? When you compare yourselves to the Andrua and that, that game that you lost by, by a couple of points, do you feel that in, in essence you're on similar pathways? Oh, this franchise will be successful in the future, no doubt. We still have some gaps and we're aware of those gaps and we'll keep working hard to, to plug away. And One way to fill those gaps is creating experiences and we've got a lot of young men who are getting some good experiences at the moment and they'll be better for it. For you personally, do you feel under pressure at this point? 
No, not at all. I'm aware of where we're at on the journey. So, in other words, the plan that was mapped out at the start of last season, as far as you're concerned, that plan is moving along. Maybe not necessarily at the pace you would have liked, or possibly it is at the pace you would like. You're on track. We're moving forward. We've blown two games. We could easily be sitting two from five and we're not even having this conversation. And that's the fickle nature of professional sport. The game against the draw around one, we're in a very winnable position and a couple of key moments really cost us. And we let the one in the force really slip as well. So that's how fickle a lot of these comments are. I mean, we can't be governed by the scoreboard the whole time. Yeah, that's really important for us, but it's not everything. So we acknowledge what the performance looks like and the preparation, the work that goes into getting those performances. And like I say, you highlight the good stuff and then you um, highlight the gaps and you, and you keep filling those gaps with hard work and smart planning and learning from those experiences. So as a team, as a franchise, you sound pretty buoyant. Yeah, or well, you define success. That doesn't mean we're going to go and win 15 games in a row. That might mean that the performance is better this week and, and we get a win. That might mean that we play our best game that we've played in our year and a bit that we've had in the competition so far and, and don't win, but we might play our best game. That's still success. So you define success by the performance and ultimately we're all trying to get outcomes and win games of footy. That's what we're trying to build belief around every week, no matter who we play. But yeah, on, on our journey, it's, it's different. And if you're comparing us to a Crusaders or a Blues or a Chiefs or a Brumbies, there's just no comparison really. Like it's where we're on different journeys. So I think it's important to keep perspective. We stay true to, to where we're at and, and what we're trying to build with this team. And there's no point letting the negativity creep in because it's not helpful. It's the Highlanders next up. But I'm wondering to what degree the club has more than half an eye on, on April the 14th when you take on the Reds in Apia. This is what the team is meant to be all about. And clearly you want to go to Samoa and put on a show. We're really excited about taking our team to Samoa for the first time and having some genuine connection with our people up there. I know our Samoan players are really proud to be taking our team to their homeland. The people of Samoa are happy and excited to see us. So um, it's going to be a magnificent occasion and we're really looking forward to it. We've got a job to do this week before we head down to uh, the Crusaders the following week. But yes, yeah, certainly it's going to be an exciting time when we do hit Samoa. That's to come, but uh, first Moana Pacifica head coach Aaron Major and his team they'll go in search of redemption against the Highlanders at Mount Smart this evening. Meanwhile, tomorrow in Suba, the Fijian and Drua will take on the Melbourne Rebels as part of a double header that also features the Super W game between Fijiana and Drua and the Rebels women's team. And the World 7 Series is back this weekend in uh, Hong Kong, with the women playing at round six and the men have reached around eight. In the women's event, Fijiana, they'll line up alongside Ireland, Brazil and Australia in Pool B, while in the men's event, Fiji and Samoa find themselves together in Pool A with Canada and Argentina, who currently sit in second place on the standings. Fiji lie fourth, a level on points with Australia and five ahead of Samoa in sixth. Remember, the top four sides at the end of the series will qualify for the Paris Olympics next year automatically. Fiji's coach Ben Golling says he's actually not unhappy about being in such a tough pool. Having three big teams is exciting for us and it helps keep the focus because it's, uh, it's basically a cup final after cup final after cup final here now with the way this tournament plays out. So it's exciting and, and no, no more so than uh, Samoa in the very first game who, you know, everybody's fighting. Everybody wants an opportunity. Everybody wants to hit quarterfinals. Everyone wants to hit finals uh, because of the points and the uh, Olympic qualification. 
Uh, first up for Fiji in Hong Kong this evening here in the Pacific. It'll be Samoa and what promises to be quite a battle. That really is going to be a cracking game of rugby sevens. Now, the head of Lakabi Samoa's Women's Academy, Filoy Enalico, already has an impressive resume, having worked with Samoa's national women's 15 and sevens teams and coached the men's team from Apollo in the national championship. And now she's taken on a new role, travelling to Australia to fill the post of assistant coach with the ACT Brumbies in Super W. She was approached by World Rugby's Women's High Performance Manager, Nikki Ponsford, during the Oceania Women's Combine in Brisbane last year. And the head coach's job at the Brumbies was actually on the table, but mindful of her role with the Women's Academy back in Apia and unsure in her own mind that she was ready for such a task, and Lika opted to take on the assistant coach's position instead. It doesn't mean she's not ambitious, and she certainly wants to be a Super W head coach in the future, but ideally... Not in Australia, but on home soil with the Samoan team. Right now, though, despite losing their opening game against the Endura in Fiji last week, she's revelling in the experience of working with the Super W team from Canberra. Oh, my experience here is really good. I appreciate everything about it. Super W head coach and the whole management, the players, but also the GM and all the staff, they welcome with open hands. And yes, we lost to Fiji, but... I believe it was anyone's game. However, Fijiana was able to make these mistakes, which they won the game. And in terms of your coaching style, have you had to change your style significantly because you're with an Australian Super W team? There's a difference, but in a different coaches with different philosophies for Australia is more structured, but my background and where I come from, it's like freely play instinct. So it's a big difference and I learn a lot from the coaches and the management here at Columbus about their own style and their philosophies on how they do things on the field and off the field. And you're also involved, I think I'm right in saying, in coaching a team with mixed nationalities uh, for the first time. Previously, I would assume you'd only ever coached a team that was entirely made up of Samoan players. I mean, does that in any way make a difference? I guess there is a difference in terms of knowledge, understanding of the game, discipline and attitudes but you know everyone is unique so players here understand the game really well because they have their own season before Super W they have the resources and have a very good supporting staff to help them so yeah Prompt's women's team have lots of tournaments compared to us in Samoa we don't have this pool of players resources to run our 15th tournament for the senior players back home at the moment so we are heading there but still don't have the player deck like here in Australia And in terms of future ambition, do you see yourself, when the time is right, coaching a Super W team? And and would that team be an Australian team? Or ideally, would you perhaps like to be the coach of Moana Pacifica women's team, a team made up of players largely from Samoa and from Tonga, following the model set by the men? That's the main goal. But at the moment, it's step by steps. But I am open to anyone that wants me to help out with their teams, either the Moana Pacifica or here in Australia or New Zealand or anywhere else. That's the goal. That's the goal for me. Or I'm thinking of, you know, like the Fijiana Jua. We can do that back home. We can also have a team back home to include in the Super W. That's if we have all the, the resources and all the players to put that team together. So you're talking about a Samoan team. You, you believe that that is achievable? Uh, yes, yes. I believe and I know that there's a lot of talent back home, but lack of resources to run that team. I know we, 
we have the players back home to do this, like the Fijiana draw. Are there moves afoot to set up another women's team, be it a Moana-style team or, or an independent Samoan team? And if that's the case, how soon do you think that might happen? It's taken a while. It's taken a while, maybe three, four years. You've indicated lack of resources, but what else would you say is holding it back? Because clearly one of the key elements for Fijiana is the money that's been put in for them by the, the uh, Pacific Isles Sports uh, setup, and they're effectively backing that team. Is there uh, additional money available to back a Samoan team? That could surely make a big difference in getting the team up and running. Yeah, we really would need that money, but I think Fijiana was first, and that's the first time for the Pacific Coast Sports to do that. So I think they can only sponsor one team for now, but moving forward, they're looking at that. But yeah, we really need that kind of financial and that kind of support to to put together our team. Really, that would suggest that women's rugby in the Pacific can climb the world ladder a lot faster, perhaps, than the men. I mean, Fijiana have obviously demonstrated they're more than capable. They won the Super W title. And when you played them last week, I think they had eight new players on the field at the start and another six on the bench. So there's clearly no shortage of talent. And if Samoa can match that, then there's no reason why you couldn't repeat what they've done. Oh, yes. Yes, I believe that, that we can do that if we have all the resources and all the, the money to run that back home. So plenty to look forward to in the medium term and, and maybe sooner than that. More immediately, though, in your role with the Brumbies this weekend, you take on the Waratahs. And because the competition, Super W, only has five rounds and you lost the first game against uh, Fijiana, this is almost make or break, really, isn't it, for the Brumbies? Oh, yes, yes. We really need to win this game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it here except the weather. Too cold for me. Working with people that makes me work every day, it's really good and really helpful. And Promise has been awesome to me since day one. Filoy Analiko Samoa's rugby coach extraordinaire on life at the Brumbies and her belief that there will be a Samoan women's team competing in Super W before too long. And uh, we should point out that her move to Canberra is uh, backed by the heavyweights of World Rugby, Rugby Australia, Oceania Rugby, Lakapi Samoa and Pacific Oz Sports are all involved in the process. I'm Richard Hewitt and our focus is on sport and the Kaviti Silt Tales have made an encouraging start to the Ron Massey Cup season. Bouncing back in style on home territory to defeat the Bulldogs 44-10 after losing their first game to Penrith by a solitary point. Off the field, a long-standing rift between the Silt Tales and the Fiji NRL appears to be healing under the influence of the party's new head coach at Wise Katibarata. He's been impressed by the work the Silt Tales have done in terms of rugby league development in Fiji, and the door is very much open again now for Silt Tales players to be selected for the national squad. The team's coach, Wes Nangama, says much is changing in the world of Fijian rugby league, and while it's early days, the signs suggest the Silt Tales are in for a successful season. It's our first game back in Fiji since uh, round one, 2020. So, you know, to be able to come back here and, uh, you know, do that in front of our friends and family after such a long time away was great, especially for the boys that have been part of our system for two or three years, um, including the young boys that made the sacrifice to move over to Australia for, for 10 months last year. So it um, been a long time coming, but, um, yeah, it was, it was great to get that result. And what did you make of the reception that you got from the crowd at Churchill Park? Yeah, look, it was great. Unfortunately, there was supposed to be a couple of secondary schools 
school games before us, which would have kept a whole heap of school kids back. But because they're trying to keep the ground good, because we had two games plus a draw, use it as well. You know, we probably didn't get the numbers that we would have liked. But in saying that, there was a decent turnout there. There was a Melanesian Cup after us with the Maroons and PNG team that came over that won the competition. Going on that and with the result that we had, when we're back here in three weeks' time playing Hills, I know there'll be more people coming through the gate. It was good for us to set the standard there and get a good performance after what was a disappointing round one close loss to Penrith. That loss couldn't have been closer. You, you lost by a point, then you beat the Bulldogs by 34. You must be looking at the squad you've assembled and thinking, yeah, I've made some good decisions here. It's early in the season, I know, but it's it's a pretty good start. So there's plenty of good signs there. You know, I knew that we recruited some really good young talent, but it's a long season. Our trial form and especially that second half against Penrith uh, really showed that we needed to be better and uh, credit to the team. They're, they're real coachable bunch. They're real hungry. I could see they were hurting after that Penrith game. You mentioned the game that came after you, which was the Melanesian Cup match between the Western Maroons representing Fiji and the Hello Wigman from Papua New Guinea. And for the fifth time in a row, the Papua New Guinean team have bragging rights in Melanesia. But one of the interesting things that Valatawaki, the coach of the Maroons, said to me when we spoke to him on the show last week was the impact that the Silk Tails are having and the academies that you've set up are having and how he thinks that will help to make the next team that plays for the Melanesian Cup stronger. Being based in Latoka, we've had a couple of opposed sessions against the local Saru team and in preparation uh, with Maroons, we had a trial game against them in our second trial and we invited them to have an opposed session with us and you know, I was having a chat with Stephen after because we watched the, the Melanesian Cup and the Wigman the margin that they won by compared to previous years has been a blowout score but you know the Maroons were in it right to the end there I mean Steve just said like it's sort of we probably don't know it but sort of us you know running those opposed sessions against these boys and them just sort of being around us in the facility and sort of training against what we have you know improves them that's what we're here to do we're here to you know don't do well as a club but here to help grow the local game you mentioned steve steve driscoll the club's ceo i'm wondering more broadly what is life like for him and for you at the moment in terms of your relationship with the fiji nrl was a lot of change happening in fiji at the moment across the whole country and not just in sport is the relationship between yourselves and the fnrl on the improve there's always talks and we're looking to improve i think the biggest thing for us has been the new appointment of vice catavarada we had him around the facilities last week and it was the um, first time that he'd been here and we've been able to sit, we've been able to sit, sit down and talk about you know our, our main hub and our, our pathways program and he was he was blown away by it Weiss really wants to make a change for the better and he understands that um, for there to be success at international level whether it be residents or Bati level that the, the big focus has to be in around this development age. He's been keeping a close eye on, on Silk Tiles over the years. And, um, you know, now that he's been here, his primary focus is, um, you know, identifying kids through secondary school. And he's, uh, you know, he's come out and said that he knows that without Silk Tiles, it's not going to work. So with his input, you know, going back to FNRL and saying how he feels and saying what he sees in his vision during his time, you know, we'll grow the game like we've all wanted to do. The Silk Tiles will strengthen the local game, which will flow into um, a stronger residence team and more local boys putting their hand up for international games. So can we assume uh, effectively a ban that existed at the World Cup on, on Silk Tales players being chosen for the body squad that that is now 
over, done with, and the next time the Fiji Buddy squad is chosen, it's highly likely there will be a number of silk tails in that squad. I'm pretty confident that will happen. Twice as seen what the program is, how it's run, and the benefit of it, and um, you know, developing these young men to to go into bigger things. Um, and he's, he's openly said that um, yeah, he was really nice to the moment that he presented a couple of our debutants their debut jerseys before the game on the weekend. And uh, yeah, he, he said that you know whatever's happened has happened in the past. It's a clean slate. He's looking to move forward and looking for progression and you know when it comes into national games um, no matter which competition you are who you're playing for he'll he'll pick the best players uh, you know to put on that Bati jersey and all of that I presume will help in the long-term aim or maybe not such a long-term aim now of the Silk Tails to move up a rank in the New South Wales competition and move up to the New South Wales Cup so it's always been our vision we haven't put a timeline on that to put ourselves under any pressure the fact that we've decided in the last two years to go younger again and we're moving forward as an under 23 team but when you look at our squad this year a good 70% of it is under 21 at this moment we're very comfortable where we are before we move on we want to be competitive at this level first Wes Nangama head coach of the Kaivedi Silk Tails and he does have one particular concern travel and the number of flights his players will have to take to play their away games in Sydney He's hopeful, though, that his players can manage the ordeal. It's one the PNG Hunters are very used to in the Queensland Cup but not this week because they have a bye Holding the front page for us this morning, taking a check on some of the stories making headlines around the region. It's uh, Kyle Evans. Kyle, good morning to you. Good morning, Richard. Uh, Fiji have a new opposition leader. This has taken a little while to uh, be, be achieved, but it's happened. So who are we talking about? That's right. It has been a long time coming. So Inia Siru Iratu uh, has taken the helm of the party. He obviously replaces uh, former Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama, who uh, has resigned after he was suspended uh, from Parliament for three years. So he was officially uh, sworn in yesterday, I believe. Uh, Fiji's Speaker has assured him that uh, he will be accorded all privileges and there will be no hindrance or unilateral checks or balances imposed from the office. Uh, in his first address to the media, he said he's looking forward to serving all Fijians and, uh, and keeping the current government in check as the government in waiting. What about the Prime Minister? Has he had anything to say about his new opponent? Yeah, somewhat mag- magnanimously, actually. Uh, he sent through his congratulations and actually signalled that he will uh, be sent, might send him to the, uh, the next COP28 uh, climate change meetings uh, in Dubai. Yes, I believe the new opposition leader is a bit of an expert in the field and they want to make use of his expertise, so that could be an interesting development. Now, to Vanuatu, where the Supreme Court has ruled in favour of a major media company who lost their director after the government refused to renew his work permit a few years ago now. So what's happened here? Yeah, that's right. So Trading Post uh, is the name of the company, and they own the country's newspaper, The Daily Post, as well as Buzz FM 96. Uh, They lost their director, uh, Dan McGarry, uh, back in 2019 after he had his visa revoked, uh, despite living in the country for 14 years. Uh, The reason given at the time by the government uh, was that he'd failed to train local staff. Uh, However, the Post claimed the decision was political uh, and that it was motivated by stories concerning the arrest and deportation of a group of Chinese nationals, some of which had been granted citizenship. Um, The situation escalated. He was later barred from entering the country. uh, And on Tuesday, the court ruled that both the Labor Commissioner and the Appeals Committee had acted unlawfully. And uh, the man himself, Daily Post Dan, as he calls himself on Twitter, what's he had to say? Uh, not surprisingly, he feels very vindicated, uh, says it's a big win for, uh, for independent media. And at this stage, it's not known if an appeal is going to be forthcoming. 
Now, Sporting Matters reports the NRL is uh, looking to revive the Four Nations at the end of the current season. So uh, what might happen? Because this hasn't been done for a while, has it? No, 2016, I believe, the last one uh, took place. And, uh, and yeah, now there's uh, the Sydney Morning Herald's actually reported that there is a secret plan that's been drafted to revive the concept, uh, which would pit Australia, New Zealand, Tonga and Samoa against each other. So the article states that league officials have discussed the format. It would be played in either Australia or New Zealand. And the centrepiece of the event would be a double header at Auckland, uh, where Samoa would play Tonga and Australia would play New Zealand. Uh, it would also lay the platform for a for a World Cup final rematch between uh, Australia and Samoa. I'm uh, interested to hear your thoughts, Richard. Fiji and PNG? Doesn't appear like they were in these uh, this secret draft, unfortunately. The NRL can never get it right, can they? <laughs> they really can never get it right when it comes to Pacific team. It's, uh, I mean, you know, if it happens, great for Samoa and Tonga, but Fiji and PNG, they've, they've got to have international games as well. Yeah. Particularly if we're looking to have an NRL team in PNG, which, of course, so many people want at the moment, not least our own Prime Minister, Mr Albanese. So, yeah, maybe the NRL need to go back to their secret drawing board and come up with a secret plan, Mark Two. We shall see. <laughs> I'll pass on the information. Yeah, please do, yes. But pass it on to your inside source. Okay, we, uh, from Rugby League, uh, we'll give you a bit of cricket information as well, also focusing on Papua New Guinea, actually. Uh, their hopes of making further progress towards playing in this year's Cricket World Cup would appear to be fading fast after a second loss in a row at the qualifying tournament being played in Namibia. That was despite setting a new national record with a score of 333, which you think will be good enough to win most matches. But unfortunately, even with those numbers, PNG was still 48 runs short of the host nation's huge total of eight for 381 off their 50 overs. Highlights for the Barramundis included 109 for CJ Amini, eight fours and eight sixes. That sounds like an innings worth watching. And Simo Kamea finished with five for 68. PNG have three more matches to play against uh, Jersey from the English Channel Islands, the USA and Canada. And they would need effectively to win them all to have any real chance of advancing to the final stage of the qualification process. So it's not all over yet, but uh, they're going to need a bit of a miracle if uh, Papua New Guinea are going to progress. Pacific Beat. It's the Friday morning sporting edition with me, Richard Ewart. And since Australia jumped ship from OFC to the Asian Football Confederation, Solomon Islands has been the team flying the flag for Oceania at the FIFA Futsal Men's World Cup. The Kurukuru have qualified for the last four tournaments and even managed to win a game back in 2012, beating Guatemala 4-3. Later this year, they're hoping to make it five World Cups in a row, and this time with brand-new state-of-the-art facilities to train in and a new coach from England, Damon Shaw. A friend of the previous coach, the Brazilian Vinny Leiter, Shaw was invited to work with the Kurukuru at the last World Cup in Lithuania, and it was there that the seeds were sown for him to take over the top job. It was sort of mentioned that they would be looking for someone to be based in the Solomon Islands, which the previous coaches never have been. It was actually Vinny who told the Federation here to look at me. And yeah, it, it was something that was always potentially on the cards. I never took it for granted and banked on it. But when it did come up, it was just a case of getting things sorted and getting over here. I would suggest that you're taking up the role at the perfect time. You will know very well, I'm sure, the backstory and the fact that this highly talented team has had to train in, well, it will be stretching a point to say second class facilities over the years. And yet they could still qualify for a World Cup. But now they have brand new facilities. They have a proper futsal court for the first time ever. So if you add the talent and the facilities together, I assume you as coach must see enormous potential with this squad. 
Yeah, massive. They showed me the pitch yesterday that they trained on for the World Cup and it's tiny, it's outdoor, it's concrete. They never complained. They just got on with it. Now they've got the new venue. It's fantastic. It's got three full-size futsal courts. So there's massive potential. There's talent. There's a program now which I'm putting in place and there's somewhere to do it. So almost saying there's no excuses for progress and qualification for the next World Cup. I think a lot of people, me included, assume futsal would feature in the Pacific Games, which of course is being hosted by the Solomons in November. But in the end, even with the new facilities, it hasn't made the cut. How disappointing is that for you? Like you, I assumed it was going to be in. And you know, it was part of the plan that I sent over to the Federation for the year that we'd go for the World Cup qualifiers in October, then we'd prepare for the Pacific Games. And it would have been like such an honour to be involved in that. But yeah, unfortunately, the organisers didn't put futsal and beach soccer in the Pacific Games. So it's just football and 23 other sports. That's interesting because there was certainly a lot of talk about both futsal and beach soccer for obvious reasons. You might as well play to your strengths on home territory. So that's a lost opportunity, really, isn't it, to put futsal uh, centre stage in the home nation it is and I don't really understand the reasons why and I'm if there's a chance to get it reinstated or instated then then I'm going to investigate it but yeah unfortunately at the moment it's out and probably very unlikely that it will be in the games and as far as the players that are available to play futsal at international level in Solomon Islands, quite a few of them, of course, play the outdoor game as well. Rafael Leia, who played his first professional game over in Bosnia just a week or so ago, he was meant to play at the Futsal World Cup last time around, but of course, unfortunately, got injured. Is that yep. going to be a difficult task for you, not just with him, but with other players I'm sure you'd love to have, but clearly they're being pulled in a number of directions? I think we've got three based in Australia at the moment that are actually in the futsal squad Raphael is not currently in the squad with us we've not named him and that's a discussion I think for a bit further down the line now I'd love to have Raphael involved he's an unbelievable talent and it could happen it's something I'm going to certainly try but also without neglecting the players that are based here and they'll be training all year and then can you then bring in a player to be honest I think yes but we'll have those conversations when it comes around to it. So with the Pacific Games not on the calendar, unfortunately, what, what would you see as your immediate targets for the rest of this year? Well, we've got the World Cup qualifiers in October. That was always more important to the Federation than the Pacific Games without being disrespectful. But the aim is to qualify for the World Cup and we've got the qualification process in October in New Zealand and where we'll go and face the likes of Fiji, Vanuatu, New Caledonia, New Zealand, of course, and whichever other teams from the region enter. It's not always clear who will send the team, but that's the main target to qualify for the World Cup. And if we do that, then I think I'll have the opportunity to grow the programme. If we don't, it might be difficult to keep my job because then the next process is four years time but we all know the aim is to qualify for the World Cup which will then hopefully bring the rest of the project to life Solomon Islands despite up until recently having the poor facilities that we talked about to work in I mean they have managed to qualify not just for one World Cup but a series of World Cups are there signs from what you know that other countries are in any way catching up we can't rest on our rules we've got the history and the experience of World Cups but Fiji are doing a lot they're investing a lot they've got really nice facilities and and I think they drew with the Solomon Mounds in the last meeting. New Zealand beat the Solomon Mounds in the final of the last Oceania Nations Cup. I know New Zealand are desperate to go to the World Cup. 
the whole program over there is geared towards that as well. So we can't take anything for granted. And the boys know that they want to feel superior. They want to be confident, but also they know that we've got to work harder than the rest of the nations around here to make sure we do qualify. We're not far and away ahead of everyone else. Even the last World Cup we qualified for, we went through on penalties against New Zealand. So we've got to do the work. We can't just expect that we're going to qualify just because we've got a coach, just because we've got a new facility, just because we've been there before. No, no, we've got to do the right things and work hard. And even then doing everything right, you might still not qualify. And for you personally, as you mentioned, part of the deal was that you would be based full time in Honiara. This is going to be quite an experience for you, not just as a coach, but as a person living a very different lifestyle. It's blown me away, actually. The first week I've been here, has been so full of new experiences, meeting new people. I think it's six countries now I've worked in, but this is a totally new experience. It's going to be a challenge, but so far I've loved it. And yeah, it's going to be a life-changing experience. I know that for sure, not just career-wise, but personally as well. Damon Shaw, a new coach of the Kurakuro, Solomon Islands national futsal team. And should they qualify for the World Cup once again, the tournament is due to kick off in September next year. And where it's going to be hosted, that remains a mystery for now. Mention there of Raphael Liai, who Damon Shaw would clearly love to have in his team. But right now, the Solomon's rising star is very much focused on his professional 11-a-side career with Baraj Mostar in Bosnia. This after his paperwork was finally sorted out. And the local fans have certainly taken to him. And Rafa even featured in an interview broadcast on the club's YouTube channel. Rafa, welcome to Mostar. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How do you like Mostar, uh, food, local people? Uh, tell us everything you met and learned about uh, our Mostar. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I really like Mostar because I love, love food. And yes, I, I make friends with some of the fans I meet. But yeah, I'm really happy I'm here in Mostar. Have you learned any words in Bosnian? Yes, I learned words from Bosnian language. Like Dobra Utro, Dobra Dan. Good. How did you decide to come to Mostar? Because my dream is to play in Europe. So when I here to come here in Mostar, it's first time. So I'm really happy. I'm happy and yes, I'm happy to come here in Mostar. What were your, your expectations when you came here? Did you know anything about our club? Uh, were you trying to find anything on YouTube or social media? Uh, for sure, for come and join Bosnia, I don't know which club is Vilis. So first time for me to come here and to know more about Vilis. So, yes, first time for me. Uh, did you Google us? Uh, yes, I follow in, Google, uh, in YouTube and yeah, Google. Okay. Uh, Mostar is too far from your country. It was, I believe, a difficult uh, decision. Uh, can you tell us how it was for you to decide to leave your family and move so far? It's difficult to leave my family because from Solomon Island to come here is quite like 24 or 25 hours to arrive here. It's different. So sometimes I... When I call my family, I miss them a lot. So when I come here, I make difference here. Like I meet new friends and I learn new things here. So it's different from uh, Solomon. Uh, how it was last week, it was your first official match uh, for Valesh. You got uh, big support from our fans. Oh yes, I was get surprised in, in my country. We have uh, small fans, but here 
I can't believe it. And yes, from fans they give like energy and they support me. I, I was feel I'm I'm very happy. And I just in my heart I said say thank you for everyone they come and support me, especially to share my name. I really appreciate it. Thanks Rafa for uh, your time. So we wish you good luck. Thank you so much. Extraordinary interview it was. It's sort of part interview, part interrogation. Uh, Rafa Leali from uh, Solomon Islands making his way as a professional in Europe with Vadej Mostar in Bosnia. He's finally played his first game. And I recall meeting him a couple of years ago and he wasn't that confident having a conversation like that back then. So you can see how fast he's maturing and he's still a very young man. And um, we have high hopes for him here in the Pacific that he's going to be a star in Bosnia and maybe elsewhere in Europe in due course. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Now, some big names are lining up in Singapore this week for the 3x3 Asia Basketball Cup. They include Australia and China. The event is also open to teams from Oceania. As Kyle Evans reports, four Pacific nations are involved, including New Caledonia, who are making their first international appearance in the shortened format of the game. Welcome to the world of 3x3, baby. It's an exciting new brand of basketball. It's been described as basketball's version of Rugby Sevens, and Pacific nations are starting to take notice. As the name suggests, the shortened format of the game features just three players from each team on court at once, and matches are only 20 minutes long. But those aren't the only differences. The first team with 21 points is your winner, or the team with the most points after 10 minutes. You have just 12 seconds on the shot clock, and the clock is ticking, baby. Anything inside the arc is worth one point, while anything outside the arc is worth two. And once you score, the ball doesn't stop. Offense turns to defense just like that. It's a 10-minute sprint. It might sound confusing, but the game has proven popular. So much so, it was introduced as an Olympic sport in 2020 and will feature at the Pacific Games for the second time in November. And as a warm-up, four Pacific nations, Tonga, Samoa, Tahiti and New Caledonia, have travelled to Singapore this week to compete in the 2023 Asian Cup. It's an Asian invasion as we welcome you to the Republic of Singapore once again in Southeast Asia to tip off this 2023 FIBA 3X3 campaign. we got 43 of Asia and Oceania's top squads lacing up the sneaks this week for a shot at gold that would represent... The event is a World Cup qualifier for three-on-three powerhouses like Australia and China. And FIBA, Oceania executive Amanda Jenkins says it's a chance for Pacific teams to gain valuable experience. We have the Pacific Games and then when it when 3x3 is in, the, the mini games. So they're, they're kind of, I guess, our pinnacle events in the region. But because for competition purposes, Asia and Oceania are combined for FIBA. So it gives the teams the chance to to nominate and, and, and enter into the Asia um, event as part of that qualifying pathway. All four Pacific nations will compete in the men's draw, but only New Caledonia and Tahiti have fielded squads in the women. For New Caledonia, it will mark the nation's first appearance on the three-on-three stage. 
Samoa have had teams go to some youth events as well. So Samoa are coming off the back of having some experience at this level. But for Newcastle and Tahiti, I think it shows those federations have really realised 3x3 is a real pathway for them and provides good opportunity. Obviously, there's a heavy French influence across both countries and the French 3x3 team had some success with the Olympics two years ago now. So they see the benefit and the, and the pathway that 3x3 can provide. Tonga's Viliami Forchetti is no stranger to the 3-on-3 format and he's hoping to record his nation's first 3-on-3 win in Singapore this week. We have a qualification draw and the winner of that pool goes on to the main draw. So we have three games as opposed to just the two last year. So we're hoping to get at least one win. You know, that would be like some progress. We have New Zealand in our pool and so they're, they're very strong. And again, another good opportunity for us to go up against, you know, one of those bigger nations. But we also have uh, Turkmenistan and Korea. So hopefully we can get a win somewhere there. The Asia Cup will be the second international tournament in the past six months for Viliami after leading Tonga's five-on-five side to a silver medal at the Polynesian Games. But he says he finds the shorter format more challenging. Yeah, you do have more autonomy because there's less there's, there's less players in the court. But there's, there's still very much a lot of strategy, a lot of off-ball movement. You're still utilising all three players on the court to, to get an open shot. And uh, there's more of, more of an emphasis on shooting frees just because of the, it's two points as opposed to getting one. And if you think about the game being a sprint, uh, you want to get to 21 as quickly as possible. While the game is still in its infancy, he says it has the potential to grow, particularly in New Caledonia and Tahiti, teams he says he'll be watching closely. I, I think it's there's, there's definitely a lot more potential for it, for it to grow in the Pacific just because... You don't need as many players to join. It's just 3x3. It's it's more fast-paced. It's not a long game. I definitely think there's a way better chance of Pacific people joining joining up to play 3x3. To New Caledonia. They'll get one more attempt. That will only add salt to the wound of Samoa. New Caledonia's men's team in action at their 3x3 Asia Cup when they defeated Samoa 17-12. The tournament continues until Sunday. And the reporter there was Kyle Evans. Time now to uh, cast an eye over some of the sporting topics uh, sparking uh, conversation and social media posts uh, during the week with sports writer and moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players Facebook Forum, that's uh, Tia Rocco. Uh, welcome, Tia. Good to have you back on the program. Good morning. Uh, Pacific greetings from Arnhem Land and Nisayandra to all our listeners in the region and to you all in the studio. So good to be back on air again with you, Richard. And uh, plenty to talk about. Um, the, the Fiji Rugby Union has already gone through quite a bit of change in the last few weeks and they have a, an annual meeting coming up uh, quite soon. I mean, how do you assess the state of play at, at the FRU? H- has the influence of, of the Bainimarama days finally gone or is there still work to be done? We are almost there, Richard. Well, 
Last uh, week, or the week before last, Richard, I published an article on theraw.com that talked about the troubled waters at Fiji uh, Rugby. And uh, yes, the AGM is scheduled for the 16th of April, 2023. But back in February, ABC correspondent uh, in Fiji, Lida Mavono, reported that out of 28 affiliated unions in Fiji, only 20% are currently allowed to vote. So in essence, that means that 80% of these are non-compliant. So it's not not known how long the 80%, Richard, have been non-compliant. Neither is it known as to whether there has been work to capacity build compliance across the five areas to being finance and gender. So fans are actually fervently calling for an intervention by the current Fijian government and also asking, is this also a sign for an intervention by World Rugby? Look, Richard, I will always continue to say that there clearly are two people at the helm of uh, rugby in Fiji, bringing the game to distribute and working behind the scenes via Chairman Humphrey Tawake, who we know uh, is on his way out, and Frank Bunimarama and Francis Keane, who unfortunately hold the votes to the powerful 20% uh, compliance that I'm talking about. The organisation, Richard, is in dire straits and the former interim CEO, Tevita Tuilo, appears to have jumped the gun too early and shown his hand that had cost him his interim role. But even more shocking is that he's been replaced by Saleh Soravaki, who is the son-in-law of Frank Banimarama. But to be fair on Saleh, he was in the institution well before the culprits came on board. So he has some level of respect, but unfortunately for him, he will always be associated with his uh, father-in-laws, unfortunately. Um, so we also have the Fiji government also assert their nomination into the board as per the Fiji Rugby Constitution, a subtle yet loud signal to the board that the government administration has also cast its eye towards uh, this deteriorating situation, Richard. You mentioned uh, Tevita Tuiloa when he was acting CEO. You suggested maybe he jumped the gun, and he, he did come out and have some pretty strong things to say about what, what he had found had been going on behind the scenes at the FRU and, and hinting at the sort of changes he would like to make. Now, his hat's still in the ring, I think, to be CEO on a permanent basis, yes. which he indicated at the beginning that he, he wasn't interested in taking the job, but clearly he is now. Do you think he may come back? Yes, I, I certainly think that um, he will have an opportunity to come back. Um, you know, when we're looking also at Saleh Suravaki, he's also beginning to spin the narrative of old mem- board members being retained because of institutional knowledge, which is rather very interesting, Richard, because, you know, he needs to come clean. We need a CEO that has the guts to do the right thing by the Fiji fans and be done with any association with the previous regime. But yes, the world will be watching endlessly, waiting for the AGM in two weeks' um, time to be finally rid of those who have for decades shot this once respected institution to the ground, Richard. So it's uh, timely. Now, on a, another r- rugby matter, Moana Pacifica, there have been some harsh things said about them in the New Zealand media in the last few years, suggesting that they're a franchise uh, doomed to fail. They've played five and, and lost five in Super Rugby Pacific so far this season. Um, fr- from a Fijian perspective, within Drua, I mean, they've won a couple of games, so they're not exactly streets ahead of Moana at the moment, but they're doing much better. I mean, what do you make of, of Moana? Do you think we just have to be patient? 
Yes, most certainly. I mean, Richard, who can forget this time last year when Moana Pacifica first struggled to get into uh, the super rugby scene after being played with COVID, again this year on the hunt for their first win for the season, um, you know, a neck injury for their playmaker and captain. Um, so he sits out this week, a massive devastating loss to the team last week, uh, 59-0 um, against the Hurricanes. And this week they faced the Highlanders. Um, today, actually, round six of the Super Rugby uh, Pacific uh, competition in in Auckland. You know, they are, as I said, hungry for their first win of the season following their defeats. They are coming up against the Highlanders who uh, enter the game on a two-game winning streak, including their most recent one. And mind you, you know, the team... Uh, the teams that they're coming against are not in their full strength, including uh, Fijian uh, Drua, and they mean business. So no doubt this week, Richard, Moana Pacifica need to get their first win and all eyes will be on them this weekend, Richard. You know, there's talk about regarding the viability of the franchise. I think we need to wait see their position at the end of the Super Rugby uh, Pacific uh, season. It's only week six and we can only be positive about what is to come, Richard. And the the big story to come out of um, Rugby League in recent days uh, centres on uh, Joseph Suali'i. He's decided to switch to Rugby Union with the Waratahs, but not until 2025, which means he still has a season and a half to go with the Roosters. And presumably, if he's picked, and I can't see any reason why he wouldn't be, he'd be eligible to play for Toa Samoa at the 2024 Rugby League World Cup. Now, you and I have talked about these deals in the past Mm -hmm. with with players saying, I'm going to go and play for another club next season in the NRL. (laughs) I personally think that's extraordinary. But this tops the lot. I mean, how on earth is a deal like this allowed? allowed to occur. Yes, well, very controversial. And controversial within itself is the war on words happening in the NRL uh, regarding Suali'i's uh, switch to union. Uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people, Richard, Suali'i has history in rugby union. He assisted the Australian schoolboys victory over New Zealand uh, schoolboys in 2019. And mind you, this was the first time they had won in New Zealand since 2012. So Swali is simply going back to what he knows. It's not like it's anything new. I read an article this morning um, that, um, you know, that it should not come as a surprise because he has been talking about it for a while and I think he's going to do well. Cross-code stars, you know, uh, who have done the same include Suli Vunivalu, Semi Randrandra, Lotte Tungiri, Wendell Saylor, and so many more. And I believe, you know, as a player, he'll be on good coin and good for him. Looking forward to watching him soon on the pitch. Um, But it looks like it could be sooner rather than later. But on a different note, Richard, we know that Eddie Jones is on the hunt looking for new talent. And just quickly, I wanted to end this saying, Richard, I'm so looking forward to the Wallabies heading out to Arnhem Land very soon. This week, Rugby Australia announced this exciting news and we're all looking forward to what's happening on our side of the world, Richard. It's not known exactly when or where they will be camping, but it will be an exciting moment for all of us here in Arnhem Land. Absolutely. And I think it's kind of back to the future, really, isn't it, for the Wallabies? Because they've tried this before, uh, having camps up there in the NT and N. It worked out rather well for them. Just one other point on the Suali situation. I mean, for me, it's the way it's going to be dragged out. He's not switching codes until 
2025. I mean, I'm kind of with uh, Gus Gould, uh, NRL personality, of course, on TV these days, coach extraordinaire. He says he has nothing against Surly, but he said if he wants to go, he should go now and close the door behind him. What do you think? Yes, I think, well, I tend to agree with that um, because I think that, you know, if he's talking about it, then his mindset will be on that. So I think, uh, you know, as a player and for his, um, you know, demeanour, then he needs to switch and he's 30 years old and um, I think he's at the perfect age to do that. All right. Well, uh, at the moment, he's not jumping ship until 2025, but I guess things uh, may change. Um, great to have you on the program once again, Tia. May the connections between ourselves and the NT continue into the future. And hopefully we'll talk to you again <laughs> same time next week. Good to be here as always. Thank you, Richard. No problem, Tia. Enjoy your weekend. Pacific Beat. That's it from this edition of Pacific Beat, the Friday morning sporting edition. The afternoon programme with the latest news from around the Pacific will be here at five past three PNG time with Jordan Fennell at the helm. And we're back on Monday morning with Priyanka Srinivasan at five, at five past six PNG time. Have a great sporting weekend.